Well, uh, let me just start off, too, by just apologizing for something that was said last week. Every once in a while, I, I say things that shouldn't have been said, just uh, inaccurate and poor taste, and that happened last week, so I just want to clear that up. Last week, I talked about, I actually mentioned, I said the phrase, going to church. That's just not healthy. You, church is not a thing that you go to. You thought I was going to apologize for something else I said last week, did you? Was <laughs> you were here last week? No, Tommy, don't play that game. I'm not apologizing for that. Come on now. Honestly, I, am, I do feel bad about that. We're in this series right now. We're talking about the vision of Crossroads. And um, some of this stuff might be remedial for some of us. Other of us need to be reminded of it. For others of us, this is revolutionary. I never heard of this before. And as I reflected on those words, go to church, I realized even though uh, we'll all say that from time to time, and we understand the context in which it's given, really, that is a very unhealthy, inaccurate sentence that shouldn't be used. It, it, it gives us the impression that a church is a building. In order for me to grow spiritually, I go to a building. I go to church. Church is not a building. Church is not a meeting place. Church is a group of people who are growing closer to be who Jesus wants them to be and changing the world in the process. That's what it is. So even though I from time to time will say that, I want to apologize for any misleading idea that church is something that you go to. A church is something that you might be you might not be as well. It's, it's a force. And we're going to talk about the force for change across the entire globe next week. I'm looking forward to that. Last week, we talked about our vision statement, who we are at Crossroads. We, we connect seekers to a community of growing Christ followers who are changing the world. Last week, we majored on the outside in. What happens when somebody's on the outside and they come to the inside of a building where a church meets, whether rented or owned. And we talked about how we create this environment uh, with lighting, with the music we have, all kinds of things to be conducive to any friends that we have that might be on the outside of a church building, on the outside of having a relationship with God, but are seeking. What's it like to come inside to an environment that's custom created to describe and woo and motivate to give our lives in ever-increasing measures to the plan that God has for us. This week, though, we're going to measure on the middle part, connecting seekers to a community of growing Christ followers. Not connecting seekers to an ever-expanding building. Not connecting seekers to ever more joyful 65-minute experiences. Connecting seekers to where there's people, people who know God, know Jesus, and are growing in ever-deeper levels of fulfillment. Over the last uh, 13 years, Crossroads existed. On any given year, we've grown numerically by 20 to 40% every year. That is a hard thing to happen in any type of organization. And it actually brings with it a whole host of challenges from, from a leadership standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, from a vision standpoint, a lot of challenges. But it's also very, very fun. It's very fun to see, some, see that happen. But you need to hear me very clearly. Crossroads was not started and Crossroads does not exist to grow numerically. That's not why we're here. If we have more and more people coming because it's just a cool place to be, but there's no life change, we're failing. We're existing to connect seekers to a place where there are people who are actually growing spiritually, who are actually changing, who are actually becoming different. It is not a good thing. To go to your five-year class reunion, your 10-year class reunion, your 20-year class reunion, and someone says, man, you haven't changed a bit, except for your waistline. You, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing that someone could see us, and we are the same. When God gets a hold of your life, there is change. 
There is constant and continual change. I was thinking about how sad it is not to change and how many industries are banking on the fact that you and I will never change. They're assuming that you and I are impossible in our ability to change. So last week in Time Magazine, they had a cover article called Less Vegas. <laughs> Vegas has obviously gone through the boom times and now it's talking about Vegas and the down times. And the article is filled with how construction projects have been halted. The housing industry is just tanked. It is awful. It is down. And yet, people who live in Vegas, who have made their gajillions in Vegas, are very confident it's going to rebound and everything will be the same soon to come. One such person is uh, Sheldon Adelson, who is the chairman of the Sands Corporation. He's lost about $36 billion in net worth in the crash. You hear me right? $36 billion. $36 billion. And yet, and yet he says that if he could borrow another billion, if he could borrow a billion dollars, he would build another casino right now. Why does he say that? Well, in his own words, he says this. There's no way this world will change. There's no way people are going to stop doing things they want to do. It's true. In a natural sense, there's no way you will change. In a natural sense, you will just batten down the hatch, ha hatches, buttress your own opinion, justify why you are the way you are, judge people who are different than you. We, most people will not change, but when God gets a hold of you, we believe you will change. We will change. And in fact, the closer you get to God, if you aren't changing, it's proving you're actually get getting further and further and further away from God. It is impossible for Jesus to get a hold of any life and there not to be substantive change in that life. One of the stories that illustrates this best for me, I've talked about it before over the last 13 years, I'm going to talk about it again today, is the story of Zacchaeus in, in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Let's read this. Here's what it says. Actually, before we do, God, thanks for today and uh, thanks for um, uh, making us aware of our need and the opportunity we have to change. I pray that happens today. That's what I want. I pray that happens today. And anything that I can say um, that facilitates that, I want that to happen. I just want my words to be in sync with your heart. Would you please do that? Amen. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short... He could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. It, it, it's this fact that wherever Jesus went, there were crowds. Makes sense. If a perfect, loving, grace-giving, powerful person is present, you want to be around that person. There may come a day, maybe it'll be this year, when Crossroads doesn't grow numerically for any number of reasons. I mean, that's not a be-all, tell-all of health. Yet, when a church doesn't grow numerically over extended seasons, in my opinion, it's because Jesus isn't present. Where Jesus is, people want to be. Where the Spirit of God is, people are drawn to it. And this is the way Jesus was. Where everyone, people were thronging around him because there was a guy who was giving grace and power and insight they couldn't get anywhere else. And so he's in Jericho. People are all over the place. And there's this guy named Zacchaeus who says he's just short. When I, when I went to church and I was a little kid, I learned this song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. Was he? No man wants to be called a wee little man. <laughs> Don't call anybody a wee little man. Not, not, not a comp. 
complimentary thing to say. He's a shorter guy. He climbs his tree, but that's not the only reason he climbs a tree. Perhaps he climbs the tree because he is trying to see out over the heads and also because he knows if the masses see him, he's a dead man. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst in that society. A tax collector back then would be like a child pornographer today. Honestly. Tax collectors were Jews who were traitors to their fellow Jewish countrymen. The Romans would hire them to be their tax collectors because since they were Jews, they understood the business infrastructure of the community. They understood the money flow, the cash flow, and therefore they could extract as much taxes as possible. And oftentimes, they could keep as much as they wanted. They just had to hit a specific nut to give back to Rome. So these were dirty people who cheated and, and, and betrayed their countrymen. And so people like that stayed away from the main religious spiritual gatherings and Zacchaeus goes up in the street not just to see Jesus but perhaps to keep away from people seeing him and kicking the crap out of him. And as Jesus is walking along, Jesus stops and it says this, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I always like this little phrase, mutter. They started to mutter. This is a fun exercise to do with a group this size. Everyone say, mutter, five times. Mutter, 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 mutter. Religious people love to mutter. Religious people always, oh, well, what are you doing? What she saying? Religious people are always muttering. And, uh, and, and the, these people are loving to mutter. All these people who think that, this, that Zacchaeus isn't spiritual enough, isn't good enough, they're muttering. And they're muttering going, why, Jesus, are you spending time with this guy who isn't really worthy of being spent time with? He's on the outside. We don't want him on the inside with us. And Jesus gives him the highest compliment. Says, I want to come and dine with you. This isn't an imposition in first century Judaism. This is an incredible compliment. Because to eat a meal with somebody is to say, I would love to have a relationship with you. That's why we do communion every last Wednesday. It not only signifies we're a community, we're having a communal meal together, but we're also identifying with the relationship with Jesus that's afforded through his death through his breaking of his body and his spilling of his blood, which we'll talk about a bit this Wednesday. And so when Jesus says, I want to come to your house and dine, he's saying, I want to have a relationship with you. I don't say you're a nobody. I say, I want to have a relationship with you. Zacchaeus is blown away by this, and so is everybody else. I'll tell you, if you, if you call yourself a growing Christ follower, not a churchgoer, a growing Christ follower, and you can identify genuine friends who are entirely different than you spiritually, if you can't identify people who do things that you don't approve of and yet you have a genuine friendship with them, if you don't have a genuinely loving friendship with somebody who if they got hit by a bus tomorrow, they would have a painful eternity ahead of them, I just would humbly say you, you, you're, not, you don't, you're, you're not where Jesus was. I just challenge you, it's a major growth opportunity. I don't know why it is that people feel that once, once God gets a hold of my life, I need to like cut myself off from everybody else out there. No, you, you, you have a love and a longing to be around people that need to understand who Jesus is. And it's not that people become the object or target in the midst of a strategy. It's just a natural desire. And this is what happens with Jesus. He, he has friendships and wants to be around people who've got issues. 
And Zacchaeus has a party with him, and Jesus goes to his house, and here's what it says. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. So they said he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So Jesus invites himself over to, the, to his house. They, 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 they have dinner. They have a party, however long it lasts, an hour, four hours. Jesus might have actually had a relationship with him beforehand. He, or he might have known about Zacchaeus because of his reputation that precedes him. But nonetheless, he has a block of time with Zacchaeus. We don't know exactly what they talk about. But at the end of that time, Zacchaeus grows. He grows. And he just makes a declaration Half of everything I own, it goes to people in poverty, half. And anybody who I've cheated, form a line. 4x what I've taken from you. 400% return. Form a line. This is growth. This is massive, massive growth. Amazes me how many people who say they're growing closer to Jesus and yet to look at their Quicken and look at Outlook doesn't look any different at all. If Quicken and Outlook doesn't look any different from before you understood Jesus and know him, you don't know him now. It's impossible. It's impo it does not work that way. Now, perhaps there's a two-day lag time, but for some of us, man, we're on like a 10-year, five-year lag time. Hello, I'm just saying right now. I'm just saying. I'm just saying right now. I'm not saying it's condemned you. I'm saying that, man, there's a whole world you have no clue about. No clue. Because when God gets a hold of your life, when you're in the midst of a community, when you're in the midst of what is a church, when God's involved in your life, changes start to happen. And Jesus sees his declaration. And we don't even know if Jesus said, hey, you know, you need to be more serious about the poor. We don't even know if Jesus said, hey, you need to, you know, start making restitution. All we know is that Zacchaeus declares himself and he starts to grow. And that's why Jesus says, today salvation has come to this guy's house. Today. Today I've entered his world. Not the day he walked an aisle, not the day he signed a card, not the day he repeated the by rope prayer. The day where there was evidence and fruit of change is a day that says, yeah, Jesus is alive and present. So at Crossroads, we believe that all of us can change. We believe that it is God's call and invitation for all of us to change. And so what we do is we want to create spaces, environments where change can happen, whether it's a weekend service or it's a last Wednesday service, or it's a community group I'll talk about in a moment, or it's a, a, a Go project, or whatever. We want to create spaces that foster change. We don't want to just be a bunch of attenders. We want to be a bunch of changers. We want to be a bunch of, of growers. It's a space that we talked about last week, what it's like to create a space for our friends who are not churchgoers. And why we keep the lights the way we do, why we have the music as loud as we do, why we don't assume previous Bible knowledge. All that. We talked about that last week. Let me talk about another thing that's going to happen here over Christmas. Um, sort of announcement, also an illustration of creating a space for change. We recognize that we have a unique opportunity in our culture to communicate God's incredible plan for the world at Christmas, unlike during any other season. People are more spiritually sensitive, more open to being pushed or exposed to things at Christmas and perhaps any other time of the year here in the American culture. So therefore, what we do at Christmas every year is very, very important. Uh, the easiest thing for us, and maybe we will do this eventually because it's the best thing, but the easiest thing for us would be to, uh, to do some good traditional hymns on Christmas Eve and have a little kind of devotional homily, whatever you want to call it, um, and 
kind of have a nice, feel-good experience on Christmas. And, you know, we've done things like that in the past, and perhaps we'll do something like that again in the future. But we feel that we have the opportunity to create a space for the general population in Cincinnati to experience the incredible, incredible world-altering message of Christmas by using our best creative means, by using art, by, by, by having something that really touches the heart. And so last year we felt like the best thing to do was Awaited. Awaited, which was the second year we did it. We did an up, updated, upgraded version of the Awaited show that uh, we never actually got to do the whole thing because, of course, on the very first night, one of our own warriors fell to her death uh, in, in that show. And uh, I want to tell you right now, we've decided that this Christmas we're going to do Awaited again. We're going to do Awaited again this year. And we're going to do it... Uh, we're, we're, we're not, we feel it's not right this year to have an aerial performance in the midst of a wave. So it's not going to be an aerial performance, but it is going to be uh, an amazing, amazing show. And we're going to do this. Let me tell you why we're going to do this. It's not just because we believe this is still our best creative shot at communicating Christmas for all of us and our friends. But for me personally, the thing that's most important is it really models an opportunity for growth for all of Cincinnati. When that tragic accident happened last year, if you were around, especially the next prayer service, it was an impromptu prayer service, you know that it was like a weeping and gnashing of teeth service. It was not a happy, joy, joy, fun, fun service. We didn't tie things up in a bow and try to give everybody a nice, simple reason why these things happen. It was an open, grieving service. And myself, I've read the Bible enough to know that I need to be honest. One of the ways I've really grown personally is I've grown with understanding how God works on our emotions and how God uses our emotions. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to know me, if you want to love God, you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. He said that in the book of Mark. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. What's he saying there? Is he saying that all of us have four places we can grow? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's not saying these are the four different areas. He's just using numerous adjectives because there are a bunch of adjectives that just says in the holistic spot of life, every aspect of who we are as humans, we are to grow. We are to know who God is. We are to love him and have every area of our lives growing and progressing. One of the areas of my life that's been growing and progressing, perhaps more than any other area over the last few years, is my emotional life. I tend to not really have too much emotions and tend to uh, be somewhat cold, and I'm probably still colder than the average person. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, in that growth, I was able to, after that awaited series, just say, tell God I was angry, tell God I was ticked, tell things to God in the midst of that service that no one would have expected a pastor to say because I wasn't a pastor. I was a guy who's trying to process and grow. And we believe with awaited. We believe that many of us are, are, in our city are stunted emotionally because we've had pains that we've just ignored and we've turned away from them. And sometimes to, to grow in your healing, you have to walk back down the dark alley. And we heard from numerous people this last year that said that they had grown like in 10 years of therapy just seeing how we process grief over a week because they had had major pains they hadn't dealt with. Actually, <laughs> last service I had a woman come down who uh, I knew before she, was, uh, she wasn't a follower of Jesus. She was whatever you want to call her, a seeker, an unbeliever. And I had met her a couple days before the awaited thing in a different environment. And she just, you know, it wasn't a bad woman or anything. Just, you know, she was different. I saw her, saw her, came up after the last service. Different woman, different. I looked at her and said, you, 
You were a different woman. You look great. It's always a difficult thing when I tell a woman she looks great because I got to like clarify that. I'm like, talk about your countenance. <laughs> I like your image. Or this is your you look great. I mean, you're, you're, you're beaming. She said, well, I'll tell you what happened. It, came, it happened and awaited. She said, I came. I was there at night. It was an awful experience. But I'll tell you, through the whole thing, I actually saw who God was and I've come to receive him. And I'm different now. She was. She's different. And we believe that we have to go back down the dark alleys to punctuate our healing and to not live in fear. And so that's why we're going to do Await It Again this year and that and a bunch of other reasons. We want to grow. We don't just want to do what a nice church does or what people think we should do. We don't care whether people like it or not like it. We want people to grow. We want you to grow. We want me to grow, all of us. And as you get closer to Jesus, you'll find that you naturally do things like you naturally become more generous. You naturally have a different taste in entertainment. I hate to go here right now, but I will. Um, just because preachers love to kind of call out things that are good and bad, and we try not to be the moralistic police about this. And just to offset this, there's a lot of things that people say that are bad that I say aren't that bad, and I actually do. Like, I'm not a big anti-Vegas guy. You actually could find me every once in a while. You could find me sometime at a blackjack table with a beer and a cigar. So I just give that as an example to say, hey, man, there's a lot of things we need to lighten up about. But I'll tell you, myself, myself there's some things I used to love that I just don't like any longer. Like... It used to be that I wouldn't watch a movie unless I was sure someone would die in it. I don't want family entertainment. No, I don't want family entertainment. I want vengeance. That's what I want. I want someone getting their rear end kicked. That's what I want. I want, I want the bad guys dead. That's what I want. And, and, I, and I still like some of those movies. And, you know, I'm not like totally anti every kind of movie. But I just noticed I have a growing distaste for certain things I used to like. Like, just for me, this example, just consider this. A Quentin Tarantino movie, I have like zero, zero taste to do that. I've grown past that kind of thing. Why is that? Because Quentin Tarantino movies are all about violence and vengeance, every single one. Kill Bill 2, kill Jill 400, whatever it is. I mean, just kill and take vengeance on anybody. And as I've grown, I've learned that vengeance doesn't help me. I want to grow in love for my enemies. I want to grow in forgiveness. I don't want to grow in violence and vengeance. It's got this movie out right now, Inglorious Bastards. Someone came up and said, oh, it's an interesting movie. Well, for me, uh, Inglorious or Glorious? Inglorious. It's all about vengeance and violence. And I just, uh, I just don't naturally like that any longer. I, I saw an interview with, with uh, Quentin Tarantino, and he said this about movies he makes and just who he is. He said, if I had a gun and a 12-year-old kid broke into this house, I would kill him. You have no right to come into my house. I would empty the gun until you were dead. Yes, our art does model the condition of our heart. And so I'm not saying you're an awful person. If you've seen Inglorious Bastards, you're going to go. All I'm saying is this. If you can't identify anything you used to like and you don't like any longer, if you can't identify anything that you did and you don't do, if you can't anything, identify any things that you didn't do and you do do, you're not growing. You have to ask yourself the question, are you playing a church game or is God inhabiting your life? There's something powerful that happens when seekers are connected with people. They say, man, you're different. You're a different guy. You manage your life differently. There's a power to that. That's why we create environments for that, whether they're in here or whether in community groups. Community groups where you can do a deeper dive on an addictive pattern or a deeper dive on an understanding of a theme through the Bible or a deeper dive in, in a relational issue. We want to create these environments where not where we become good church people, 
But where we become people who are different, who are changed, who are more like Jesus, because Jesus brings freedom to change. Jesus brings freedom to change. I'm sure Zacchaeus went to a self-help seminar at some point. I'm sure he did. At some point, the help that we can bring ourselves is limited. I'm sure, he did. I'm sure all kinds of people told Zacchaeus he should give more to the poor. I'm sure all kinds of people told Zacchaeus you ought to stop cheating people. But what happened? Why now? Why now does he change? It's because Jesus doesn't bring the finger of accusation so much as he brings the freedom to change. He brings a power. He brings a want. He brings the freedom to change, to go to new places. Do you realize how awesome it is that no matter where you and I are in our personal life right now, it doesn't have to stay that way? That God doesn't just condemn us for the things that we're doing or not doing, but we have the ability and the freedom and the power to change if Jesus has inhabited our life. That is, that is mind-blowing to me. Where else can I go that I can experience him in that power? Where else? Wherever it is, I want to experience that. And most of the time, it's going to be because I'm in the midst of community. Jesus is walking and teaching in the midst of community. Zacchaeus experiences community with his dinner party when Jesus is there. Community is actually a precedent to change. Community is a precedent to change. Um, you don't have to be here. You don't have to go to this community. Uh, but I will tell you, you do need to commit, be committed to a community. It doesn't mean you can't go to various other churches and get, a, get something out of some internet site or some teacher. But I'll tell you, God has not created us to be spiritual vigilantes. He's not created us to be high plains drifter spiritual vigilantes. And I know a lot of people are this way. It's like the sense of commitment to a community, nowhere near their mind. Rugged, individualistic spirituality. And it doesn't work. That's why you're capped. You need to be in a local church. You need to be amongst a community of growing Christ followers who you're committed to, who you contribute there. You volunteer there. You're under the authority there. You bless there. God has not created us to be individual, rugged spiritualists. He's not. We need to be in the context of community. Community is a precedent to change. That's why Jesus had 12 guys and said, you're going to be around me. We're going to be a community. And even amidst those 12, he still had three favorites, Peter, James, and John. And he gave them unique growth opportunities. And he also brought them around him in, in some of his, of his darkest times. I'm excited that I'm in a community that's, a, that's about my growth. I feel that you are about my growth. I feel that other leaders here are about my growth. And we want to continue to, to equip all of us to grow. One of the things that we're going to do right now, and we're going to equip you to grow in the future, is how to encounter God in a daily way in the privacy and context of your own home. See, um, when I'm in these seats right here, have you ever noticed, like, you pick a seat that you come to frequently, and when you sit in that seat, it sort of puts your brain in the mode of, okay, I'm here to encounter God in some way. Like when I sit down here, I could come to one of these seats on a Wednesday afternoon, Tuesday morning, and I would have the same feelings right before I come up on stage, or the feelings of anticipation, the feelings of gearing up. There's something about seats that just put us in a frame of mind, like the dentist chair. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you just go, you ever just go and sit in a dentist chair, even if a dentist isn't anywhere around, you're just sitting there like, it's like just sitting there, you can smell certain smells, and you can hear, you can hear things, and yeah, you know, I don't like dentists. I hate to say I need to grow in this area of my teeth management. Haven't been to the dentist in four years. I don't like dentists. 
<laughs> you're going, oh, you're kidding me. Yeah, I know I need to grow in this area. Perhaps it's an area of fear that needs to be conquered. Um, I have a good buddy who comes here who did, did, me, did a good job last time, but I still don't like it. Like him, just don't like the dentist. If I do go, I like to give them some work. I like to make them earn their keep. I like to eat a whole bag of, whole bag of cheese curls before I go in and just like, hey, go ahead. How at it? Yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of dentist. That's what you get right there. You know, sometimes, but I have also have this chair right here. This is the actual chair that's in my house. And when I sit in this chair, when I sit in this chair, I get in a different frame of mind. I'm going to give you the gift right now, the gift of time. I'm going to give you the gift of ability to experience God in a unique and personal way right now. We are right now com uh, creating, our community is creating helps. It's going to help you in your personal time with God. And uh, we're going to roll those out in a couple months. But we have a little sample of some stuff we're working on. And it's right here. You can pull out your program. I'm going to give you a gift right now. Maybe God is going to do something in your life. Pull out where it says today during the service. Because that is today. And it is during the service. So today during the service. I encourage you to have a time when you meet with God. You're not going to do it every day. You won't. I don't do it every day. Uh, I wish I did, but if you say you're going to do it every day and then you don't do it every day, then you feel like a loser and you get defeated. Have a goal. Do it. Do it. But when I do it, I do it in the morning. I do it frequently. And this chair is reserved for that. I don't read novels in this chair. I don't read leadership books in this chair. I don't watch television in this chair. When I sit in this chair, it's a chair that's set aside for a sacred meeting with God. I'm going to do that right now. So when I sit, and let's all do this right now. If you want, this is the time for you. You don't have to do what I'm doing. You can zone out. You can space out. But perhaps God might meet you right now and give you something that I would never think of saying, but God's going to put it on your heart. So when I sit, I just clear my mind. I just, I just want to be silent. I just want to try to be calm. God, this is obviously forced. It's forced to do this. Uh, it's awkward to be doing something we don't normally do, and let alone in a room where someone's sitting beside us. But nonetheless, as many of us try this, I do believe you are a God that wants to meet with us, and you can give us something right now to help us grow. So would you just open up my mind? Would you open up my heart? As I read the scripture on the screen that I've read a couple times now, but I get something new every time I read it, would you open up my mind and help open up our minds to receive your truth and to start to grow? Let's read this.
God, what does this mean to me right now? Direct my thoughts. You know, as we sit here, it's a little coaching. If you find your thoughts drifting someplace, don't feel guilty about it. Just assume the best. Assume that your, your thoughts are drifting to a place that God wants them to go and there's something you're going to think about that he wants to work, where he wants to do a work in you. God, I think right now of storms. For some reason that just jumps out at me, storms. I don't like the storms of doubt that have plagued me too frequently. I want to root myself in you, not in cynicism. as I sit here in this chair, one of my natural things that happens is I, I like to get physically involved in spiritual things. So I'll sometimes, I said that happened naturally. I'll just naturally put my hands down. It's an exercise I do. This is the universal sign of release. The universal sign of dropping. And if you want to do this, go ahead. God, I'm, I'm just dropping right now the things that I've been holding dear that need to not be in my possession. I'm dropping them. Specifically, I, I'm just dropping and declaring right now, I don't like a spirit of cynicism that's been growing in me. I don't like being cynical and assuming the worst in people or in situations. I don't want to drop that. Cynicism has no place in a heart of grace. God, I just see things dropping out, hitting the ground, rolling down the floor at your feet. Ambition, ungodly ambition. Judgmentalism. What I like to do too is I like to when I do that, I like to put my hands up. This is a universal sign of receive. And uh, God, you are the greatest giver that's ever been. And I'm asking you to give to me right now. I want to receive from you grace 
Anything else you have for me, hear these prayers, God, of people who want to receive from you things to build a firm foundation on. since a lot of forgiveness is going into those hands right now. Receiving forgiveness. I'd like to put my hands up. <clears throat> it's the universal sign of surrender. Just says, I surrender. I surrender. God, when I, uh, <laughs> when I build my life on my ways instead of your ways, I'm not surrendering. I'm digging my heels in. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. May attain me some level of success, but my heart does not grow. <laughs> I do not wake up in the morning with more joy. I do not wake up with more passion for what holds the next week. I, I just surrender any successes that are actually on bad foundations. God, I, I surrender for me. I surrender any success for me that's associated with crossroads. I, I do not want myself to be associated with Crossroads. I want to be associated with you. I'm, uh, I'm excited about the vision of what you're doing here, but God, I want to stay clear. I, I, I am not Crossroads. I want to be you. I surrender, whatever it is, wherever I need to go, whatever I need to be. As you see on this sheet, if you can't see with the lights down low, you, you could actually choose to enact and engage by writing down. And one of the things on here was what step could you take to build your life around Jesus? Let me encourage you, if you feel like you don't hear from God, one of uh, the first things I encourage you to do is to do whatever you think you have heard from God. And if you're right now not sure if he actually spoke to you or not, but yet if you had a thought that you think is the kind of thought that Jesus would have, then assume that God just spoke to you and he wants you to do that. And just like managers and leaders are encouraged to communicate to us when we actually follow their instruction, God is encouraged to communicate to us when we actually do what he said to do. So if you drop something, drop it when you leave here. 
If you've received something, walk in that when you leave here. If you've surrendered something, surrender it. And in doing so, you have encouraged God to continue to speak to you.